Well, last Sunday, we addressed a critical question of our faith, if you recall. The question, what is God like? Or even better, we said, how do we go about reimagining God rightly? Since the God each of us imagines is always in need of a renovation. You know, we, we talked about how whether we know it or not, the God we imagine is always being constructed and deconstructed. He's always been imagined, he's always being imagined and reimagined. So it's not a question of whether we reimagine God or not, but how do we do that well? And, and our answer last week was this. You reimagine God in light of Jesus. Because Jesus is the clearest picture that we have of what God is like. Or as the book of Hebrews puts it, Jesus is, quote, the exact imprint of God's very being. So that God, God is just like Jesus. So if you missed last week's sermon and would like to hear this unpacked a bit more, you'll want to go back and give it a listen. But as I thought about my sermon this past week, upon further reflection, I have felt a bit uneasy about what that sermon might have insinuated. Now, I still believe this ongoing work of reimagining God in light of Jesus is critical to the health of our faith. It's just that I don't want anyone to think that it's the essence of our faith. What we believe about God matters, yes, but our faith is not primarily about what we believe. That's not the point. That's not the crux of Christianity. It's a piece of it, yes, but it's only a piece that is meant to lead us somewhere deeper into the very heart of our Christian faith. I'm curious as to what you would say about that. What do you think is at the heart of our Christian faith? What's the point? Why are we even here this morning? Yes, reimagining God according to Jesus, that's a good thing, but where is all of this supposed to go? How would you answer that? Well, hold that thought for just a moment, and let's come at this from another angle. I'd like you to think back over your life, and I want you to find a moment in which you were full of joy. You know, when, when all seemed right with the world, when you felt safe and secure, a, a moment you can point back to and say, that was good. Find that moment in your life. What was happening? Where, where were you? And now, I, I'm sorry I'm going to have to do this, but I want you to think back over your life again, but this time, find a moment when you experienced a fair amount of pain, when all seemed wrong with the world when you felt afraid, vulnerable, a moment you can point to and say, I never want to relive that again. Find that moment in your life. What was happening then? Where were you? Now, the reason for these two excursions down memory lane is because I have a hunch. I have a hunch that these two moments you just recalled, two moments on polar ends of the emotional spectrum, I believe that they both share something in common. Something that can bring us either absolute ecstasy or absolute misery. And that something is relationship. The best day in your life, I bet, most likely involved relating in some form or fashion to other people. Maybe it was the birth of a child, uh, the day of your marriage, a trip overseas, or, or some celebratory event. Whatever it was. 
That moment in your past that, that overflowed with such joy that you were thinking about, that was a moment experienced in relationship. And I bet the same is true for the moment in your past that is full of pain. It's likely that someone did something to you, maybe abandoned you, betrayed you, embarrassed you, fired you, divorced you, or even abused you. That moment in your past that you'd rather forget was likely a moment experienced in relationship, albeit in relationship gone very badly. In these two moments, relationship had something to do with it. Why? Because relationship is the stuff of life, right? We, we, we were made for relationship. We are who we are because of the relationships in our past and because of the relationships that we are currently in. Family relationships, friend relationships, your working relationships, ministry relationships, and of course, spousal relationships. And with any of these relationships, there is this potential to experience both joy and sorrow, love and hate, ecstasy and misery. Of course, we'd all prefer to experience the former. All of us desperately want our relationships to go well, to be healthy and to flourish. But we've also discovered that making relationships go well is extremely difficult. It takes so much work to make them work. Marriage would be so much easier if there wasn't another person involved, right? But then it would be meaningless. And ministry would be a walk in the park. It would be a carefree calling if it weren't for people. But then again, it wouldn't be ministry. All of us would be experts at parenting if only we didn't have to deal with real, live children. Happy Mother's Day, by the way. I mean, that, that's how relationships go. Well, thank you very much, Father West, for this lecture on relationships. But what does this have to do with our question at hand? The heart of the Christian faith. Well, we'll, we'll get there. Hang on, hang on. But first, allow me one more aside. On the way to school the other day, my children were having a hard time with this thing that we're talking about, with relationships. In particular, their own relationships with each other. So that as we're loading into the car, there was a lot of bickering and, and biting comments flying here and there. But instead of snapping back at them, which unfortunately I, I do too often, I decided to take another route. I took to the pulpit, for I had a captive audience in the car. So I decided to get a little theological with them. And so I asked them, kids, what do you think is ultimate reality? To which Natalie says, Dad, you're so weird. <laughs> but I stayed the course, which, what is ultimate reality? What has always been and always will be? What, what is the ground for everything that exists? Okay, Dad, we get it. It's God. He wants us to be nice. Now, can you turn on some music? No, I continued. You're, you're, you're missing the point. Yes, God is ultimate reality, but let's unpack that. For what is God other than persons in relationship? Father, Son, and Spirit. Which means that ultimate reality is relationship. But not only that, ultimate reality is a relationship that works perfectly. 
That's because it is a relationship of self-giving love. God is love, the Bible says. And that doesn't mean that God just happens to be nice to anyone he bumps into. No, it means that from eternity past, God the Father has always been pouring himself into the Son and the Spirit. And likewise, God the Son has always been pouring himself into the Spirit and the Father. And likewise, God the Holy Spirit has always been pouring himself into the Father and the Son. That's what it means when we say God is love. He is a community of love. So that ultimate reality is the healthiest, most glorious relationship of all, a community full of joy and love and peace. God himself. That's amazing. But still we can say more. We can say that this relationship of love, which we call God, the Trinity, we can say that he desires to share this love, his life, with others. As if his love couldn't be contained, so so that it it, it overflows into the creation of the world and, and especially into the creation of us, human beings, who are then, can you believe this, invited to share in and be transformed by this relationship of love we call God. Boom, at that moment, I dropped the mic and waited for my children to repent in dust and ashes. But all I got were a few blank stares. They weren't making the connection. They didn't see that this is why it was so important for them to be kind to their siblings, because they are invited to share an ultimate reality, a reality that consists in a loving relationship with God and with others. Oh, well. Maybe next time. But I do hope that this morning you and I will actually make this connection, a connection that even the disciples of Jesus needed to make. You'll recall that last Sunday we looked at the first part of John chapter 14 as Jesus is, this is the night he was betrayed, right? He's about to die, so he's preparing his disciples for his departure. And you remember that one of the disciples at that time asked Jesus to, to show them the Father. They said, Jesus, show us what the Father is really like. To which Jesus said, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Now this is really good news, as we've been saying. God is, is just like Jesus. It's, it's just that it's not the, the point, the main point. The chapter's not over, is it? It just sets up the main point, which becomes clear as we continue on in John 14 when our passage makes this significant shift. So John 14 begins by talking about Jesus' relationship with the Father, how Jesus reveals the Father, what God is like, yes. But now Jesus begins to speak to us about the role of, quote, another advocate, the third person of the Trinity. Jesus tells his disciples, he says, I will ask the Father and he will send you another advocate, the Holy Spirit, to be with you forever. Jesus here is hinting at what we will celebrate two Sundays from now on the day of Pentecost. The day when the Father gives us his Spirit as the means through which we get to partake in this divine relationship of love. The day, Jesus says in verse 20, 
when you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Now, I know it's kind of easy to get lost there in this kind of abstract talk, this mystical language that John is so good at. Be sure that you don't miss the magnitude of what Jesus is trying to tell his disciples. That it's not just about us knowing God at a cognitive level, that God is just like Jesus. It's not just about that, but that it's about us knowing God at an intimate level. It's about us being invited to share in ultimate reality itself, this divine relationship of love. My friends, the Trinity is not just a doctrine. It's a dance, right? A joy-filled relationship that moves to melodies that are meant to lift up your hearts so that you might step out onto the dance floor. My friends, the Trinity is not just an intricacy to puzzle over and try to figure out. No, it's an invitation to a banquet, a divine table that has an empty chair with your name on it. And so with this in mind, we can pause right here, and now we can return to our question for the day. What is the heart of our Christian faith? What's the point? Why are you here this morning? No, it's not just to get your image of God aligned with Jesus, though I think that's important. And it's not just about getting all your theological ducks in a row. No, the heart of the Christian faith is relationship. A life with God that loves others. A participation in ultimate reality. Or as we say here at All Saints, a sharing in the life of God for the life of the world. It's delighting in the divine dance. It's feasting at the divine table. It's living life in a relationship of love with God and with others. That's the heart of it. And I want you to make sure that you caught that last part, the and with others part. Because delighting in the divine dance means that there are other people on the dance floor with you, doesn't it? Because feasting at the divine table means that there are other people sitting around the table with you. So that the love you enjoy in God is deeply connected to the love we extend to others. That's the connection my children missed in my sermonette on the way to school that day. That their sibling relationships are tied up with ultimate reality, right? That sharing in the divine relationship means nurturing relationships with all people. It's why our gospel passage this morning is, is framed by keeping the commandments of Jesus. I don't know if you noticed that. It begins and ends with this, if you keep my commandments, not as a requirement to sharing in God's life, but as its natural outflow, right? That if you love me, Jesus says, if you share in this divine dance of love, then the natural outflow will be that you will keep my commandments. And, and what are the commandments of Jesus? Well, he just told his disciples in the previous chapter, John 13, a new commandment I give you, to love one another as I have loved you. Or think back when Jesus was asked which commandment is the greatest. We all know what he said. He named two, love God and love your neighbor. They're connected. A life with God is always a life that loves others. 
That's why it's never enough for us to say here at All Saints that the heart of the Christian faith is sharing in the life of God, period. I mean, yes, that's true. That's central, but it's just incomplete. It's to share in the life of God for the life of the world. It's love God and love your neighbor and love your sibling. Love God and love your spouse and love your employer. And as Jesus challenges, and love even those who hate you. My friends, this is the heart of our faith. This is what we're all about here at All Saints. This is what we're constantly being invited into. Each day, everywhere, a dance with ultimate reality. A life with God that loves others. Lord, have mercy upon us. Help us to cultivate a life lived in relationship. Form us into a people who in all things lives our life in you and for others. We pray this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.